MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, May 28th, 2021. Today, Republicans counter President Biden with a $928 billion infrastructure proposal. Trump is using his Senate acquittal as a double jeopardy defense against the civil insurrection lawsuits. A voter suppression bill in Arizona fails to pass with two Republican defectors. Republican House leaders rebuke Marjorie Taylor Greene's Holocaust remarks. Top Democrats have discussed the possibility of AOC filing for a restraining order against Marjorie Taylor Greene. And McConnell trades personal favors for no votes on the Insurrection Commission. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Happy Friday. Friday means that Amy Carrera will be joining us later in the show for the good news segment. I'm super excited about that. I think we do have a case on the docket for Amy's court. So if you have any good news stories or disputes that you want settled on Fridays in Amy's court or you want to play What the Mutt with us or Hide the Cat, Find the Cat, Where's the Swear, Misheard Song Lyrics, uh, Good News, Confessions, Corrections, anything you have, you can send it to us by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on Contact. And later in the show, I'm going to be talking to the policy and communications manager at Next Up Action Fund. Her name is Isabella Villarreal. So I'm excited. It's going to be a great show. We do have a lot of news to get to today. Gosh, uh, we're going into the weekend. I'm, I'm imagining a Friday news dump later tonight. And of course, our network launch happy hour Zoom thing is tonight at 4 p.m. Pacific time. If you're a patron, check your inbox, check your messages, check Patreon. We'll have that Zoom link for you. All right. We've got much, much news to cover. So let's do that. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up today, a group of Senate Republicans has unveiled a $928 billion infrastructure proposal to counter President Biden's plan that was nearly $2 trillion, but he has brought that down since. The proposal outlines a significant increase from the most recent GOP plan to spend $568 billion. The new version includes additional money for roads, bridges, water, rail, and airports. But the majority of the proposed spending is part of an existing baseline plan for investments. The total new money proposed is just $257 billion. West Virginia Senator Shelley Moore Capito led a group of GOP negotiators in crafting the plan based on ongoing talks with the White House. Quote, it sticks to the core infrastructure features that we talked to initially. She told that to reporters at the Capitol. It is a serious effort to reach a bipartisan agreement. Seems like where they're mostly far apart, though, is how the bill is funded and what is defined as infrastructure, right? The single largest spending item is $506 billion, and that's for roads, bridges, and major projects. That's a $91 billion increase. Other increases include $48 billion for water infrastructure, $25 billion for airports, $65 billion for broadband, and $22 billion for freight and passenger rail. The shift comes days after Biden offered to lop off $550 billion from his original proposal, moving the two sides closer than they've ever been. Through, though there are, like I said, there are still some significant challenges that they have to overcome because Republicans, they plan to pay for the majority of this by repurposing funds that Congress has already appropriated for other stuff, primarily targeting unspent money meant for COVID relief. In a statement, White House officials called the Republican counteroffer encouraging, but they said they were concerned about the proposal to use COVID-19 relief funding to pay for the plan, and that some concerns remained about funding proposals for VA hospitals, rail, transit, lead pipes, and climate. 
Biden said he plans to meet with Republican senators on infrastructure talks next week. And in a letter sent to the White House Thursday morning, that group of Republicans framed their offer as evidence that a bipartisan deal can be reached as long as the definition of infrastructure remains focused on bridges and roads and shit, basically. I'm paraphrasing there. This disagreement over how to pay for infrastructure probably, as I said, eclipses all other arguments going forward. Democrats want to increase taxes on corporations. And when I say increase, I mean, go back to a tax rate that's still lower than what Reagan and Bush had and also wants to tax high income earners. And the Republicans have flatly rejected that. They do not want to tax themselves. (laughs) Biden and his allies have also firmly supported plans to pay for spending by increasing the corporate tax rate to 28 percent, increasing the top federal income tax rate to 39.6. And for those earning more than 400,000, expanding the capital gains tax. Democrats generally dispute the claim by Republicans that the government is sitting on extensive unspent appropriations from COVID relief. It's just not true. The White House told reporters that 95 percent of the three trillion earlier COVID relief money was either already obligated as of March or has been set aside for the Paycheck Protection Program, unemployment and nutrition assistance. Of the remaining five percent, the largest categories of unobligated balances are in health care provider relief funding, which is funding for like rural hospitals, healthcare providers, and disaster loans for small businesses. So that's what the Republicans want to take away. The other issue facing the GOP is how popular both President Biden and his American Jobs Plan are and the American Infrastructure, the American Jobs Act, American Families Act. And today, Biden actually pulled out a list from his pocket. It's a list of Republicans that, despite voting no on the American Rescue Plan, have been bragging about it at home to their constituents. And uh, a friend of the beans, Steve Vladek, penned a piece for MSNBC about Trump's emerging defense against the civil lawsuits that are filed against him for inciting the insurrection. At the end of the former guy's second impeachment trial, 43 Republican senators voted to acquit him. The reasoning most leaned on was that it was a procedural objection. The Constitution, they claimed, precluded the Senate from conducting an impeachment trial of an individual who no longer is in office, which is not even real. But that was their excuse. That argument was clearly wrong. Steve says here, quote, that argument is clearly wrong as a matter of constitutional text, historical practice, and common sense. But its ramifications were driven home on Tuesday when Trump's lawyers argued in a civil suit filed against him that his Senate acquittal was, in fact, a substantive exoneration and should thereby foreclose civil suits seeking to hold him liable for any violence that he allegedly incited in January. So this is a great quote to legally, this argument is frivolous. (laughs) And he's right. There is not a legal principle at all that would put double jeopardy in here. You know, the Senate's 57 to 43 vote shouldn't and doesn't shield the president from other lawsuits or criminal investigations. But as Steve points out, this isn't a legal argument they're trying to make for the court. This is a public, for public consumption, he says. Trump's argument is included in a motion to dismiss the suit that Eric Swalwell, Swalls, brought against, he filed against Donald Trump in March. Trump's lawyers cited no authority in federal law for their proposed grounds for dismissal, which is not surprising because it doesn't exist. The Fifth Amendment, Steve goes on to say, protects Americans against double jeopardy, banning consecutive criminal trials at the same offense. But the Constitution says beyond any doubt that impeachment doesn't count. And he says, here's the text of Article 1, Section 3, Clause 7. Judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than to removal from office and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit in the United States. 
but the party convicted shall nevertheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to law. And this is fascinating, he says, as we're seeing this giant rift begin to form in the Republican Party. And that connects, that dovetails with this next story with regards to the Arizona Republican Party. An Arizona state bill that would have required absentee ballots list more personal information, Social Security, last four, name, date of birth, etc., has failed in the Republican-controlled state house. Arizona State Senate Bill 1713 would have required absentee ballots to put the date of birth, last four digits, etc., as I was talking about, a state-issued ID number or voter registration number, and that failed. In the House Wednesday night, voters would have had to fill out an affidavit that the information they put down on their ballot is correct. So give all your personal information, sign an affidavit saying it's true. This bill failed on a 29 to 31 vote with two Republicans joining the entire Democratic caucus to vote against it. Democratic Rep Jasmine Blackwater Nigren said on the floor the bill could hurt tribal voters as well because specifically discrepancies over their birth dates. This bill, she says, will disproportionately impact our tribal elders who weren't born in the hospital and don't have an accurate birth date across all of their records. The bill hadn't been discussed since early March when the Senate passed it and it was sent to the House for consideration. Republicans are currently wrangling to get a budget passed over the next few days and they're working to incorporate some election voting related bills into the spending plan through amendments. So they're trying to just tack on these little amendments to the budget But the GOP majority is struggling to get all of its members on board with this budget proposal for reasons, including frustration about the new proposed tax plan. And more evidence of a fractured party, House Republican leaders, this is U.S. House Republican leaders, have condemned incendiary remarks from Marjorie Taylor Greene five days after she first publicly compared mask wearing to wearing a yellow star amid a wave of criticism from Republican and conservative critics as well as Jewish groups aimed at the Georgia Congresswoman and the party leader's silence because nobody said anything at first. Quote, Marjorie is wrong, and her intentional decision to compare the horrors of the Holocaust with wearing masks is appalling. That's Kevin McCarthy, but it took him five days to say that after her original comments, because she made a similar comparison. She doubled down on Tuesday. Let me be clear, the House Republican Conference condemns this language, he said. The public condemnation from McCarthy and other prominent Republican leaders comes days after Green made her initial comments, remarks that she stood by. Again, like I said, she doubled down on Tuesday amid criticism. It's unclear what disciplinary action Green would face, probably none, as the House is out for several weeks and Green has already been removed from her committee positions over previous offensive remarks. Some Democrats have floated the idea of censuring her with a vote. At least one Republican has suggested expelling her from the conference, the GOP conference. The number two House Republican, that's Steve Scalise of Louisiana, also responded to Green's comments for the first time Tuesday. Rep Scalise, this is a spokesperson, Rep Scalise does not agree with these comments and condemns these comparisons to the Holocaust. That's it. That's from Lauren Fine. That's Scalise's spokesperson. And Rep Elise Stefanik of New York, the newly elected number three House Republican who replaced Liz Cheney, also responded to the controversy in a tweet, but she didn't name Green directly. She said, equating mask wearing and vaccines to Holocaust belittles the most significant human atrocities ever committed. We must all work together to educate our fellow Americans on the unthinkable horrors of the Holocaust, hashtag never again. That's Elise Stefanik. Following criticisms from her Republican colleagues, Green issued a characteristically defiant and extended Twitter thread where she repeated her attacks on Democrats and the media, just as we expected she would. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell spoke out against Green on Tuesday morning when asked about her latest comments. He said, once again, an outrageous and reprehensible comment. Earlier Tuesday, Republican and conservative critics drew 
special attention to House Republican leaders for their silence. Quote, a new comment by Marjorie Taylor Greene sticking with the Nazi comparison. I'm sure Republican leadership hasn't seen it yet, so want to alert GOP leader Steve Scalise and Elise Stefanik so they can hop into action. That was Bill Kristol who tweeted that. He's the director of Defending Democracy Together, which is a conservative advocacy group. Jeff Miller, a board member of the Republican Jewish Coalition and member of the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum Council, also highlighted and criticized Green's latest tweet, saying, WTF is wrong with you. I think you need to pay a visit to the U.S. Holocaust Museum. I'd be happy to arrange. Then maybe going forward, you wouldn't make any more disgusting, ignorant, and offensive tweets. If I'm wrong and you're not ignorant about the Holocaust, then you are disgusting. Miller has been the major backer of the former guy and helped bundle millions of dollars for the re-election campaign. He's also close with McCarthy and has previously served as political advisor to him. So finally, some uh, Republican leadership speaking out. But, you know, what's going to happen? Maybe a censure by the Democrats. I doubt she'll be expelled from the conference or from the Congress. And in a related story, House Democratic leadership discussed the legality and logistics of Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez filing a restraining order against Green after the Republican verbally attacked the progressive lawmaker and likened COVID-19 restrictions to the Holocaust, as we were just talking about. Top Democrats have reportedly floated a potential restraining order for Ocasio-Cortez against Green, and that's sources talking to Politico. They noted the Democrat would likely have to seek the order out herself. Green first confronted Ocasio-Cortez before she was elected to Congress as a conservative activist. Earlier this month, after Green shouted, Hey, Alexandria, multiple times uh, outside the House chamber, Green pressed the progressive lawmaker to explain why she supports Black Lives Matter and people she calls Antifa terrorists. Ocasio-Cortez, who worked as a bartender before she was elected to Congress, responded by telling reporters that Green represents the kinds of people that I threw out of bars all the time. Absolutely. (laughs) Quote, for me, this isn't even about how I feel. It's that I refuse to allow young women, people of color, people who are standing up for what they believe, to see this kind of intimidation attempts by a person who supports white supremacists in our nation's capital. That's a quote from AOC. House Democrats have been discussing several strategies to rebuke Green, as uh, we talked about earlier, including an investigation through the House Ethics Committee. On Tuesday, reports surfaced that Rep. Brad Schneider, a Democrat from Illinois, was drafting a resolution to censure her. Also in the news, in the last 24 hours, Minority Leader McConnell has ramped up the pressure on Republican Senate colleagues to oppose the bill that would create an insurrection commission. One of those Republicans, one, uh, one of two Republicans who talked to CNN, told CNN McConnell has even made the unusual move of asking wavering senators to support filibustering the bill as a personal favor to him. Quote, no one can understand why Mitch is going to this extreme of asking for a personal favor to kill the commission. That's a Republican talking to CNN. A McConnell aide told CNN he was not aware at all of McConnell's private conversations, but said that what the Kentucky Republican says privately is no different than what he says publicly. Yeah, we know that. He's come out and publicly said, this is going to look really bad for us in the election. McConnell's blunt appeal comes as Gladys Sicknick, the mother of fallen Capitol Hill police officer Brian Sicknick, is meeting with GOP senators to encourage them to support the 9-11 Stock Commission to investigate. January 6th, 14 GOP senators agreed to talk to her on Thursday, and after they emerged, nothing really changed. The two Republicans familiar with McConnell's efforts say it suggests the GOP leader is doing everything he can to make sure that the bill gets killed. Only three Republican senators so far have expressed support, Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, and Murkowski. Democrats would need 10 to break a filibuster. And of course, Manchin has come back out to reiterate that he is not going to, quote unquote, destroy the country by helping kill the filibuster. 
While Republican leaders believe there could be some defections in the ranks, they don't believe there will be 10. That's according to sources familiar with the matter. Leadership believes the case they've made to their members has taken hold, that the commission would be used for political gain by Democrats. So basically, it's going to make Republicans look bad. So that makes it political. And we could lose elections in 2022. Yeah, you should. That's how elections work. Republicans say McConnell has been even more insistent this week as the debate approached for the insurrection bill. According to the other Republican familiar with the effort, McConnell made an impassioned case against the commission to a group of GOP senators behind closed doors this week. And finally, in today's segment, I'm like, I'm going to call what the fuck, because what the fuck. Airlines have filed about 2,500 unruly passenger reports with the FAA this year, including 1,900 reports of passengers not wearing masks. That's uh, according to the agency. The jump in cases comes amidst the, you know, the coronavirus pandemic prompted FAA Administrator Steve Dixon in March to identify and extend a zero tolerance policy on unruly air passengers. The FAA said Monday it had proposed new civil penalties ranging from $9,000 to $15,000 against five airline passengers for disruptive and in some cases assaultive behavior. The FAA has identified potential violations in 395 cases and has initiated enforcement in 30 cases. It's just, it's the, the reason this is in the what the fuck thing is because we've been dealing with airport restrictions for a really long time. Take shoes off, three ounces only, no water, you know, don't bring water. You got to finish your water, finish your coffee before you go through security. They do a naked scan of your body. Everybody's cool with all that. It's the mask that's the problem. It just blows my mind. It defies all logic, but... uh I'm just going to start preaching to the choir if I continue. We're going to be right back. We're going to talk to Isabella Villarreal and her project. It's really, really amazing. Uh, It's just incredible, motivating young voters to get out the vote. And I think that you're going to be really impressed with this conversation. I was. So stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Allison. And today's episode of The Beans is brought to you by Titan. As we know, Wall Street ignores everyday investors. They cater only to the ultra-wealthy. For for far too long, the average investor has been left out in the cold, neglected. We get the same old generic advice like, buy index funds. You're like, yeah, thumbs up. I knew that. Meanwhile, the ultra-wealthy, the super-rich, get access to premium investment strategies and white-glove service. Now, this gap didn't sit well with the creators of Titan, who've introduced a world-class investment manager for the rest of us. Thanks to Titan, now everyday investors can have capital invested like a premier investment firm all through the Titan mobile app. Titan's goal is to give you access to the best investment experience in the world, but without the high minimums, without the lockups, and without the performance fees. Their in-house investment team invests your capital using their award-winning strategies and delivers daily research updates via the app. The Titan app is so great. Titan aims to grow your capital over the long term by identifying the rare species of stocks known as compounders and hanging on to them. And with Titan, it's like having an elite investment manager in your pocket. Titan manages hundreds of millions of dollars for over 25,000 clients and counting and was named the 2020 top investment app of the year by U.S. News. So to get started, just download the Titan app. You can start investing with Titan today. You get three months with zero fees by visiting titanvest.com slash daily beans. That's three months, zero fees at T-I-T-A-N-V-E-S-T dot com slash daily beans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am so honored to be joined today by the Policy and Communications Manager at Next Up Action Fund. Please welcome Isabella Villarreal. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having me here today. I am so excited to talk to you because I think, you know, after 
when President Obama made his first appearance on a podcast after the former guy won the election, one of the things that we were all just so devastated, but one of the things that gave me so much hope was when he talked about this wave of of young people that were going to be turning 18, be getting active, be getting involved in politics, and it will wash over the country, he says, and so much incredible change will come. And that's sort of why I'm so interested in what y'all are doing. Can you tell us a little bit about Next Step and what Next Step Action Fund is about and what your mission is and what you do? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so Next Step Action Fund, we're based out of Portland, Oregon, um, and we really fight to engage the next generation of Oregon's leaders in order to build political power and fight for a more just and equitable Oregon. Um, and we really do that through three different areas. One is systems change, the fancy way of saying like policy work, um, and then mobilizing young voters, and then finally doing youth leadership development through various like cohorts and engaging high school and college students. Um, kind of most notably, we're known for passing five really important statewide policies that have expanded access to voters, um, including the nation's first automatic voter registration law, um, so when you go to the DMV, get your license, you're automatically registered to vote, um, which increased our voter rolls by like over 400,000 people, um, wow. which is truly incredible. And we've seen so many states follow now um, passing this policy as well. Um, we've also passed online voter registration, pre-registration for 16 and 17 year olds and paid postage for ballots, making our voting system actually free. Oregon's unique in that we're a vote by mail state universally. So everyone receives their ballot in the mail and it's super easy. You can vote at home on your couch and then pop it in your mailbox. Yeah. And that's incredible because we have to counteract right now all of these voter suppression bills that are being passed mostly in red states in response to the big lie that has been generated, which, you know, had a direct hand in the insurrection, which Republicans are voting against looking into today. Mm-hmm. Now, you had mentioned mobilizing young voters. So let's talk GOTV because (laughs) I've been doing GOTV initiatives for so long and people often neglect younger voters because they historically don't show up. And I think year after year over the last six, ten, six, eight, ten years, that number is increasing significantly. And it's finally because somebody's paying attention to these younger voters. I was a younger voter at one point, too. You know, some people are like, oh, you Gen Xers or whatever. Well, I, I was also 18 one time and we didn't show up to vote either. I did. But, you know, it, it happens every generation. So what are some of the strategies that you use to, to motivate young people about to turn 18, younger than 18, a little bit over 18 to turn out and vote and be involved? That's a great question. And I think a lot of other organizers and community organizations will have a similar answer to me in that our work is year round, not just during presidential years, but it's really about building that knowledge around how you can be civically engaged in our systems, not just electorally, but how can you be involved in your community? Um, And when you start to shift that narrative to like the real impacts of what your legislators are in charge of, um, what like, what does a ballot measure do? How will it affect your daily life? Um, It becomes a lot more tangible for people. Because if we're just like, go vote, That doesn't really mean anything. I'm not going to lie. Like to a lot of people, that doesn't really mean anything. Um, you need to tie it directly and concretely to what could the outcome be? Could you get more funding for, you know, mental health 
um, services within your school. If you vote for a certain school board member or, you know, like if you elect a certain person to your city council, are they funding police or defunding police? Like all of these common themes that we've especially been talking about in the last year um, are a really great intangible way to connect it to young people's lives. Mm-hmm. And by not just doing that in the, in the presidential year and actually investing in young people long term all the time, um, we really start to shift how we're doing that work. And it's really impactful. It's really impactful, ultimately. And I think we kind of saw that happen, especially in the presidential election. Yeah. And I think that that's so important, too, because you bring up such an interesting point that it seems as though from what you're telling me or what I'm understanding is that voters of that age or soon to be voters mm-hmm. tend would are more easily engaged in local politics, what's happening at their very local level, because it's tangible to them. And not only that, it's accessible, right? You can run for these positions. You can know who your school board members are. You can especially know who your city council members are because they're the ones who generally control what money goes to police. Are we going to take that money out of the police and give it back to communities, disenfranchised communities? That's where you start. And of course, that all trickles up to the national elections. And so I think it's so important. I mean, everyone should be involved in local elections, but I I love that specifically this generation is being motivated by those, like like you said, very tangible issues that impact them locally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think engaging young people where they're at already, um, whether that's like in their high school classrooms, doing voter registration to prepare them and talking about the importance of upcoming elections or, you know, actually contacting and having conversations with, you know, 18 to 29 year olds, which is actually pretty rare. rare well, where you will see a campaign actually engage that demographic, because like you said, you know, historically turnout is lower, but we need to ask the question of why it's lower. It's that not that young people don't care. It's that they're just not invested in as heavily and starting to make those connections is super important and actually having those voter conversations. Yeah. And I've also taken note that when I have those conversations directly, uh, most of the feedback I get is that, that you know, I, I would vote if there was a candidate that excited me or if I maybe knew more about what the opposition candidate, how that would negatively impact me. And I so, yeah, I think that's so crucial. Um, there's other ways you're increasing, helping increase the voter rolls, though, which brings me to I want to talk about Senate Bill 571. But I do have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Yes, for sure. Awesome. Everybody, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. And this portion of the beans is brought to you by Upstart. Uh, if you're like me, you dread looking at your credit card statements every month because you're making the minimum payments. It doesn't seem to make a dent. And if you're afraid of looking at those statements, you're in good company. We all stress out when dealing with finances, especially debt, especially high interest debt. And the good news is Upstart can lift that weight off your shoulders so fast and so easy. You can finally feel the relief of being free of credit card debt. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan, all online, so convenient. Whether you're paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debts, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get simple, fixed monthly payments. Unlike other lenders, Upstart looks at more than just your credit score. You're more than a number to them. They look at your income, your employment history, things like that. And that means they can offer a smarter interest rate with trusted partners. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate up front for loans between 1000 to $50,000, and you can receive funds as fast as one business day after your loan is accepted. After this past year, I know so many people were struggling living off credit cards, and that debt just got yucky, and it's all high interest. So I highly recommend to everyone 
Check out Upstart. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash dailybeans. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. And don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided in your loan application. So go to upstart.com slash dailybeans to get started. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking to the policy and communications manager at Next Up Action Fund, Isabella Villarreal. And before the break, we were talking about motivating younger voters. But there's also something else that you're working to pass, which is the Restoration of Voting Rights Act, Senate Bill 571. Can you tell us what's in that bill and how you're helping to push this forward? Yeah, absolutely. So Senate Bill 571, the Restoration of Voting Rights Act, um, this is the first year that it's been introduced in the Oregon State Legislature. Um and essentially would allow people who are currently serving prison sentences for felony convictions to register to vote, update their voter registration, and participate in elections. It's pretty straightforward. No one would be allowed to hold elected office, um, and they would be voting with their last mailing address, essentially. Um, So no voting blocks would be formed. Um, It's really just people getting the chance to be civically engaged, be involved and connected to their community and having their voices heard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now for the record, I think everyone listening, everyone without the sound of my voice knows I am for this. I'm for this federally. (laughs) I'm I've always been for this because if you look at I mean, we can go on for so long about critical race theory, a prison school to prison pipeline the disenfranchisement of voters who become felons and making felons so that they can't vote. And also having, you know, as an American, just because you're incarcerated or you've committed a felony, you actually have a bigger stake in what happens politically. And so, you know, that's just my personal view. But I am sure that there is plenty of opposition to this in that, you know, hey, if you've committed a crime, you have given up certain rights and that's one of them. What's sort of your pushback to that? I'm, I'm interested to hear when you get that, hey, you know, you've committed a crime, you shouldn't have the right to vote anymore because I don't know, I said so. What, what like, what are, I can't even like fathom their reasons, but what, what are your pushbacks to those kind of comments? Yeah, I think there's quite a few different reasons that I would say. Um, one quote that I have from an adult in custody, Anthony Richardson, which Oregon Justice Resource Center, one of our main partners in our coalition to pass Senate Bill 571. He said, prison is about the loss of liberty and not the loss of citizenship. Mm. And obviously, there's like a lot there to unpack, uh, but it really sums it up nicely in that when you're incarcerated, we really need to look at the historical and current context for what our criminal legal system does and who it's protecting and who it's disenfranchising. So like, if you look at the state of Oregon, um, this law was created in the 1850s, um, specifically when our state constitution had Black exclusion black exclusion laws. Um, And we widely know that disenfranchising voters has nothing to do with punishment and everything to do with um, specifically trying to target um, Black, Latinx, Indigenous um, people from not voting. Um, This has been widely studied by many academic researchers, and the ties are very clear. Our carceral system um, not only disenfranchises more Black people and Latinx people, but um, I'm sorry, incarcerates more Black female, Indigenous people, Latinx people, but concurrently it disenfranchises them, right, at a higher rate as well. Um, but yeah, if you look at our state's population, about um, 9% or 2% of our state's population um, are Black people and about 9% 
of the people incarcerated in Oregon are Black. So right there, you see a perfect example of why the argument of, um, well, why don't we do this later? Like, why don't people serve their sentences first? We need to look at our history and we need to look at why this law was created in the first place. Yeah. And, and you know, like I said, I could, we could talk forever about this. Uh, <laughs> criminalizing cannabis. Mm-hmm. I think the sole intent of making felons out of the disenfranchised, mm-hmm. the crack versus cocaine sentencing laws would way disproportionately put black people in jail, making them felons, taking away their right to vote. I'm sitting here thinking, man, if they just had a whole list of ways to remove the right to vote, we've got gerrymandering. How do we take the right to vote away from black people? (laughs) And I think criminalizing stuff is one. And now we're seeing and I I don't know if anyone's put this together and maybe you can take this to the young people. Mm -hmm. All of these bills trying to criminalize abortion Mm -hmm. is, I think, you know, not only just because they want control over women's bodies, but. I think they're trying to make felons out of pro-choice voters so that they can't vote anymore. And so that is why I support these types of bills. So tell us where you are in that battle right now. Great question. (laughs) (laughs) So currently we have about a month left in our legislative session. Um, And as a little bit of background, about 20 states were looking at re-enfranchising voters um, even just this year. Um, Two states, Maine and Vermont, have never disenfranchised they're the incarcerated people. And it, I, I don't know if it's coincidentally that those two states have some of the highest populations of white people. Um, but, you know, <laughs> um, so we have about one month left and we our bill is currently in basically like the budget committee. It has a small, very small fiscal um, for the Department of Corrections to run like voter registration drives. So with that, we're really looking to continue to pressure lawmakers to show that this is a really important issue, um, both to young people and to people that are currently incarcerated, whom we've had lots of conversations with. And really, this is the reason it, is, it exists in the first place is because of the conversations we've had with people who are currently incarcerated. And do you think it has a good chance with the the balance of power in your state legislature? From what I've seen, I, I think we do have a very good chance, but I think, you know, the narrative that you brought up earlier is definitely a difficult one to combat. The The question of well, why are we doing it while they're incarcerated? Why can't we just wait until they're not? It, it's about the history. And I think this is really the opportunity to provoke white supremacy and racism and call that out and say, like, this isn't okay. And in a state that leads in voting rights, like one of the most accessible states to vote in, in the entire nation. Don't you have like 97% of your population is good to go? It's so close. It's like 93.7%. Oh, there you go. There you go. Or registered voters. Yeah. So why, why do we continue to disenfranchise people and leave this group of people out? Hmm. I know why. (laughs) Well, this has been a really fascinating and eye-opening conversation because I think it's so important that we speak to to young people Mm -hmm. and understand where they're coming from and what their tangible needs are so that we can meet them through politics. And, And so I'm so glad that you're doing this work. Can you tell everyone where they can support, find, help, contribute, volunteer? Yes, I love that. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, you can connect with us at nextuporegon.org. Um, that's our website. And all of our so- social media is exactly the same, Next Up Oregon. Um, and you'll find a form where you can easily email your lawmakers. It literally takes like 30 seconds. I've timed myself. Um, it's already written there for you. Um, if you so desire to, you could totally write a letter to your state representative and state senator. 
And I think sometimes people think these forms don't work, but actually it's super important on issues like this. Like I, I cannot emphasize how important it is that our community is showing up for incarcerated people to show that this is like a priority. Isn't this is something that we're not just going to like let die. <laughs> um, hmm. So it really does make a big difference when people plug in. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been really, really great to speak to you. Isabella Villarreal. We'll talk soon. Yay. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. We'll be right back after the good news. Hey, everybody. It's Allison. And the following segment of The Beans is brought to you by Policy Genius. Summer is almost here, and wouldn't it be great to get all of the stuff off your to-do list so you can relax and enjoy the summer? Woohoo! COVID's almost over. We can go out and start doing things again, and it's going to be awesome. But get that to-do list cut down by going to PolicyGenius.com. It makes it easy to get life insurance done and done right. PolicyGenius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers, and you can do it all in one place. It's very convenient. You can save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes at PolicyGenius. That's 1300 bucks per year or more on life insurance savings by using PolicyGenius to compare rates. The licensed experts at PolicyGenius work for you, not the insurance companies. So there's no weird sales pressure or anything like that. You know that you can trust them to help you navigate every step of the shopping and buying process. And that kind of service has earned PolicyGenius a five-star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Getting started is super simple. Just head to PolicyGenius.com and in minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need then you can compare personalized quotes to what you need and find your best price. And when you're ready to apply, Policy Genius handles all the paperwork. They do all of the legwork for you and scheduling, and they do it all for free. And Policy Genius never sells your information to other companies, and they never add on extra fees. So head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it is nice to get it right. And today's show is also brought to you by Monk Pack. I am a snacker, I graze, I love to snack. But healthy snacks are not good. But Monk Pack has cracked the code. I am so glad I found them. Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars contain less than one gram of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 150 calories per bar. And they're delicious. They're great for anyone following a keto lifestyle. Perfect snack if you want to get, you know, hit the spot, right? It's so good. And you, you cut back on sugar and carbs and you don't sacrifice taste. The Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars are chewy and sweet and salty and also crunchy from the whole nuts and seeds. And they're delicious. They have good flavors like caramel sea salt, sea salt dark chocolate and peanut butter dark chocolate. My favorite right now and probably for a while will be caramel sea salt. It's so delicious. And since they're packed with protein, they're filling, they're satisfying. They're perfect for a quick snack to indulge your sweet tooth without the guilt. In addition to being keto friendly, they're gluten free and plant based and they're non-GMO. There's no soy or trans fats or sugar alcohols or artificial colors. I love them. They're so, so good. And they make sure I'm always like n- nice and full and satisfied. They hit the spot. I'm always fully stocked because I signed up for a subscription plan to my favorite flavors, which saves me 10% on every order and ships them to me automatically. Getting these delicious treats delivered to me on a regular basis has been a complete game changer in my snacking. It's, I'm so much healthier now. So try it for yourself. You'll see. We have a special deal for listeners. Get 20% off your first order of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering our code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident. It is backed, their product is backed with a 100% happiness satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will exchange your product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. So there's no risk. So to get started, just go to monkpack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com and select any product. Then enter code DAILYBEANS at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. Monkpack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news.
And it's Friday. That means Amy Carrero is here. Hey, Amy, how are you? How was your week? Hi, I'm pretty good. You know, it was like a lunar eclipse. So I like didn't sleep for like six days in a row. Weird dreams, man. <laughs> I don't know. That's if- like super blood flower moon or something. Yeah, yeah, it was weird. I had weird ass dreams, but I slept well last night, but that might have just been because I had three glasses of wine. <laughs> Always helped. Yeah. Two nights ago, though, bizarre dreams. Bizarre. Yeah, Absolutely there you go. Bizarre. That was the that was when uh, everything was all happening. All the crazy. Yeah, and I told my I told my therapist and instead of her normal like, huh, that's really interesting. Maybe yeah. this. She was like, dude, you have some fucking weird dreams. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I can't help you. I'm very sorry. <laughs> She's like, I don't even know what to say about that one. That's weird. <laughs> OK, well, we have so many submissions today. Thank you, everyone, for submitting your good news, confessions, corrections. What the mutt? Where's the swear? Hide the cat? Whatever we're playing. Misheard song lyrics. And of course, uh, if you have any disputes you want Amy to solve in Amy's court, you can do that too. You can do it all by heading to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. So first off, let me just kick us off here, Amy. There's, uh, we, we have a submission from Dr. Larry. Hello, Dr. Larry. Mm. Hello, beans of the world. So I've been working at a library since 2015. It has been my most enjoyable job ever. It was a job choice and pay grade far from what my training is. I have a doctorate in clinical psychology, but that's a story for another time. I absolutely love my job. The librarians of today are not your grandparents' librarians. My boss has been telling me I have librarian in my blood and prodding me to get my master's in library science. So last year, I applied and was accepted to San Jose State 100% online. Well, it was a struggle adapting to online learning. The last time I took a course was 100% in person in 1999. (laughs) (laughs) But my term just ended and I got 100% in one class and 99% in the other. Wow. I think I found my niche. AG, if you ever consider getting more schooling, a master's in library and information science is for you. It's already pretty much everything you do. Mm. Anyhow, at the library I work in teen space and my boss wanted me to help create some videos to promote the library and programs our first tiktok is up and it's way cool bonus if you're a queen fan please check it out we are santa anna public library one word santa anna library on tiktok and it should be up on your socials soon like facebook instagram and youtube whoa (laughs) video is called another one reads a book (laughs) instead of another one bites the dust done done Another one reads a book. book. Wow, that's so cool. I mean, you'd never think that a doctor, someone, well, I mean, you, HG, who's that? AG, HG, um, (laughs) go back to school to do more school. Like, it seems like a PhD is, you've done it. Like, once you've gotten that, that's all the school you ever probably want, but I guess not. Well, this is wonderful. So everybody check out Santa Anna Library on TikTok. Mm. The talk of the ticks. Okay, <laughs> next up, we've got Patty, pronouns she, her. Hello, Allison, Dana, and Amy. I have been a longtime listener and subscriber to your program. You have gotten me through sleepless periods, four years of Trump, COVID lockdowns, and more. I'm an old woman, like the Bonnie Raitt song says. Thank you. Thank goodness for women slash broads dot 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 castings. Good news. <laughs> my mom is 102. Wow. And lives with me and my spouse. She can still walk with the help of her walker. Also, our rescue dog turns 14 soon. Wow. She had a spinal rupture at age nine and had back surgery therapy for six weeks so that she was able to regain the use of her back legs. Woo woo. Her name is Sandy Blue Eyes. Sandy for short. When we spell her name out loud, she knows what to do. Much love at Blue Patty on Twitter. 
Oh, Patty with one T and one I. Hmm. Oh, wow. Look at that. It's beautiful. Oh. oh, look at this dog with the nose hairs. Oh, my gosh. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't. Whoa. What is that? Which one? I've never seen that before. The, the um, little nose fluff? The nose fluff. Like the long nose fluff. <laughs> it's awesome. Whoa. I'm going to need that in my future. Oh, so cool. That's so cute. So cute. Awesome, Patty. Thank you. And say hi to your mom. Yes. Say hi to your mom for me. Say hi to your mom, Patty. Uh. <laughs> She'll remember me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next up from Tim, pronouns he and they. Greetings, AGDG and Amy. I got a huge chuckle about a correction that came in concerning how to pronounce Prescott. In October of 1982, a month before the birth of our son, my eight-month pregnant wife and I were searching for a great name. I had been reading a lot of Louis L'Amour, and uh, one I had just finished had a hero named Prescott. I do not now remember his last name, although I thought, wow, that's an awesome name. And my wife liked it, too. So when our son was born, he became Prescott Francis blank. Needless to say, we do not pronounce his name to rhyme with biscuit, though my uncle who lived in Sun City, Arizona since the late 60s did. It always sounded so weird to hear him call out Prescott. How are you? To which Prescott, with grace and dignity, always smiled and said, Uncle John, it's nice to see you again. I like to believe that having a unique name like that played a part in making him the wonderful man he is today. Cheers to the whole crew. Hang in there. Uh, Say hi to Prescott. Prescott. (laughs) You know, that's one of those things that I will never understand. Like when I moved to Los Angeles, there are all these street names that are just I'm like, it's Wilshire Boulevard. They're like, no, no, it's Wilshire. Or like Los Feliz, which is spelled Los Feliz, and everyone says Los Feliz. So I know I give up. They're, yeah. you know. Yeah, Sepulveda. Yeah, I mm-hmm. Sepulveda. I really prefer Prescott. I think it's much more elegant than Prescott, but <laughs> that's just you, how we pronounce the town name, right? Yeah. That's what you gotta do. Uh cool. Okay. Uh, Next up, Data Diva, pronouns she, her. Good news from Data Diva. My project to raise money for unaccompanied minors is going great. We've raised almost $500 over half from the Beans community. Today, I made the first order for 23 games from a Mm -hmm. game store that's letting us buy wholesale with more to come as they get stuff in stock. This weekend, I'll be hitting up crafts and sports supply stores to send other enter- uh, entertainment stuff. And I've started reaching out to find used Spanish language books for middle and high school aged kids. It's super exciting and I can't wait to send more stuff. For my pet tax, I present my cat Ellie, who is holding what started as a Biden Harris fly swatter. <laughs> I have one of those she sent me. <laughs> but also works as a cat size campaign sign. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. This is so cool. She's raising money to, to buy um, games and, you know, entertainment things for all of the une- unaccompanied minors at, at, at the, the border. border and border facilities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so cool. I'd love to donate to that. That's so awesome. Thank you for doing that. And that I really think like fly swatter, it doesn't work as well as the mini, you know, campaign sign for the cat. Right. <laughs> This yep. isn't an Amy's court case, but that's what I'm ruling. <laughs> yeah. And everybody, we're going to link the GoFundMe to Recreation for Refugees, Games for Immigrant Kids in the show description. So you can find that there if you want to give. So cool. Mm, I know. It's such a wonderful cause. Next up from anonymous pronouns, she and her. Hello, Beans Queens. I'm so excited to share that I finally found a way to put my totally excessive privilege to good use. A century ago, my grandfather went to work as an engineer for a Texas company called Humble Oil. On the side, he invented a drilling device that was revolutionary at the time and is still in use today. 
He applied for and obtained a patent on it, and then he traded his patent to Humble Oil in exchange for shares of stock. Today, Humble Oil is Exxon Mobil Oh, my God. <laughs> the shares have passed down to me. And for the first time in my life, about a month ago, I actually voted all those shares and I voted against the board and with Engine Number no. 1, an environmental activist group whose existence I knew nothing about until today's headlines. Engine number one, in addition to their board candidates, has managed to get a lot of things up for a vote that would require XOM, ExxonMobil, to be far more transparent about its environmental and social impact. I was able to vote 31,000-ish shares for my for transparency. <laughs> and now there are I have goosebumps. No and now deal. there are two environmental activists on ExxonMobil's board. It gave me a small ray of hope for uh, for change, and it made my day that I was able to be part of causing some good trouble. I'm unable to access my pet mm-hmm. photos from here, so I'm filing for an extension on the pet tax. Cool. Granted, granted. <laughs> Thank you, ladies, for enabling me to survive the former guy years. I needed MSW and the beans like I needed air. Still do. Well, Anonymous, this is amazing. So wow. oil company so cool. from 100 years ago became ExxonMobil. Passed it down, passed it down. And so what does she do with these shares? She uses it to vote for environmental causes on the board. That's so great. I am just in shock. And wow, what a! I also, listen, Anonymous, have you ever read a book about your family? I would read it. I think that's so cool. It's fascinating. You know, to have like ancestors who are like, I think this drill will be good. And then still using it. So cool. And thank you for using that to, you know, for the betterment of the world and our hopefully not deteriorating planet. Uh, next up, we got Nadia Lane, pronouns she, her. Oh, this is for me. Okay. When I heard Amy talking about bad dragon sex toys, I felt compelled to write in. I am a solo content creator slash sex worker. Bad dragon toys are fantasy toys extremely popular in my community. They have a reputation for making quality products. The idea is you don't know what a demon penis or an alien tongue looks like, so you just make it cool. They even have a line of toys for men. You can search Bad Dragon on popular clip sites, uh, and then in parentheses, many vids, clip for sale, Pornhub, amateur porn, slash, etc., to see a plethora of people using them. There are some extremely creative stories that go along with the reasons for using them. It's a wild world out there. As my pet tax, I include a pic of one of the toys for those interested but not willing to search. This one is for your tentacle porn needs. Oh my God. Amazing. Is it taco or taco? I'm going to say taco just because it works on a lot of levels for me personally, but Whoa. that's incredible. Nadia Lane, thank you so much for this. This is so awesome. And I I appreciate you. This is so great. And Nadia, if you don't mind just like a f- follow up, I'm still curious what the, what the, the claw is. I don't know if it's called dragon pot, the claw. I want to know what that's used for. You could just at me if you want <laughs> or or submit it. I'm sure other people are curious. I just need to know, like, what is... Wh- how do you... Yeah, that? what Where are the... How do you use it? What are the uses yeah. of enchantment? That's yeah, what I want to know. just some technical, technical but, manual so thank for that. You. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. All right, finally, we have a submission from uh, uh, Steve, pronouns he and him. And Steve says, hi, Allison, Amy, and Dana. This could be a submission for Amy's court. P.S. For a, for a long time, I truly thought she was joking about English being her second language. I teach and run a program for ESL college and grad students, and we'd say Amy speaks with near-native fluency. Ooh. For sure. Well, thank you. That's because you haven't heard my Miami <laughs> accent, which is when I go home to Miami, it's like 
full, like it's full on. Okay. Like I'm like really like just slip right back into it. So <laughs> thank you. Anyway, returning to the possible court case. Uh, that's not me. That's him. I didn't read like, um, oh. anyway, I'm done with your Miami accent. Anywho. He continues, after seeing the pick of geese and their goslings in the newsletter, I wanted to throw out a theory I've had for a while for your consideration. I think geese have the largest mm. gap between cuteness as babies and dickishness as adults, maybe rivaling humans. Mm. <laughs> but, <laughs> but seriously, mm. there aren't too many cuter things than goslings or little fuzzballs, as my wife and I call them. But how many animals are bigger dicks than geese? <laughs> no, there's there's not many. True. I mean, there's a whole cool nameless game uh, on on PlayStation for it. Attached for pod pet tax are our beasts, <laughs> Bonnie the puppy, named after f- uh, a famed pirate, and Bonnie, and Maud the kitty, just because she looks like a Maud. I remember the show Maud. You can probably guess Bonnie's main two breeds easily enough, but it's included below. One pick is her in my chair being like, what, dad? It's my chair. And the other where she's trying to be her tiniest little ball dog self. And then Maud is just like, whatever. I'm a cat. Deal with it. <laughs> Love your show. Ladies rock. Look at this little chubby beagle. Oh, whoa. What a little chubby. And that cat has such a cool nose pattern. Very cool. Face pattern. Tuxedos are so great. All right. So Beagle. Oh, Beagle for sure. And what would the other one be, do you think? Oh, that's oh, where he's the mix. Um, uh, Jack Russell Terror? That's what I was thinking. I was thinking Eddie from, from Frasier, right? Well, yeah. Ed- oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, but, like, actually- but then the hair is throwing me off a little bit. Yeah, because it's a very smooth coated dog. All right. Let's but definitely see. Beagle for sure. Let's, let's see. see what you got it. Beagle and Jack Russell. Ooh, 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 ooh. We got it, baby. A jackal. Wow. I wonder if like one episode I should just bring out my alter ego, which is really just me, but like at age ages like zero to like 20 when I moved to LA and someone was like, if you want to work in Hollywood, you're going to have to figure out how to speak normally. But I'll just do maybe like for one of the Amy's court, I'll just do like one that's like super Miami because mm. I think that people really enjoy that. Yeah, so attention Miamians. Yes. If you have a, a, a dispute you please. need settled in Miami Amy Carrero's court, please send it in. And you can send it in from anywhere. I just think it'd be extra yeah. funny if it were Miami it specific. I I have a beef, actually. Maybe maybe this AG's court. So like Miami people, I guess like the tech world is like trying to make Miami a tech hub. And it's so obnoxious to me. There's like this big colonizer energy going on where all these like dudes from like silicon valley are like hey man like everyone smiles at you like everyone speaks spanish and they always smile at you i'm like mm, sir no please don't please don't turn miami into a, a hub it's miami's already becoming like too globalized like like miami to me the miami of my youth was a little bit like staten island where like every it's close enough you know what I mean? Like you're still watching the same movies and stuff, but like there's just a bubble of culture that could not be pierced. And now that's like starting to go away. Right. We think of that, we think of that West Coast as like Venice, right? That's yes. sort of that sort yes. of, and down here in San Diego, we call it Ocean Beach, OB. It's this yep. little community of of just cool, like Lahaina over in, uh, yeah, just this kind of cool little, its own thing. Not too many people come in, not too many people go out. Yep. And it's it's chill and, and sort of, you know, not bougie at all, right? Yeah, it's its own thing. I mean, people in Miami, like, I, I just like, I just want to show you some fashion. Like, I'm next time I'm going to bring some pics where we're just like, we're killing it. Like, this is it. 
Actually, I probably looked a little bit how I look like now, how I look like now, and I'm going to play a and d game. Like, so I look extra crazy, but that was, you know, so now I just feel like Miami's becoming LA and I hate it. Yeah, so I she's really got this, do. she had this little green off the shoulder uh, midriff top and like super fancy blue eyeshadow and little pigtails. Yeah, so it is. That's pretty. That's pretty Miami right there. The color is pretty scheme, something for real. Yes, yeah. exactly. So I don't know. I don't even know if that's something. But if you're, yeah, I just needed you to know that I'm very opposed to Miami becoming the next Silicon Valley. You you look like a, a Miami cocktail, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What would you call me? The Carrero. Sex in the bathroom. Sex in the bathroom. Sex in the club bathroom. <laughs> sex in but the club. But that's also on the beach. Right. Sex on the club bathroom on the beach. Sex sex on the beach club. Yeah. I'm, yes, exactly. I'm feeling it. All beach right. Well, club bathroom. This has been so wonderful. And thank you. I missed you all week. I'm glad I got to talk to you. Uh, I hope everyone has a very safe weekend and gets some R&R in. Um, take some time for yourself for for real. Uh, and uh, do you have any uh, uh, plans this weekend, Amy? I know you're gonna gonna go do D and D tonight. D and D tonight. No, my, it's my brother's birthday this weekend. So, but we're not. I just saw him when we were in Miami. So I don't know. Maybe like a Zoom. And we've been trying to go. Oh no, actually, we do. We're gonna get Din Tai Fung, which if anybody in the Los Angeles area has never been to Din Tai Fung, it is the best dim sum outside of anywhere it's so good and i think it originally or they have like an original version in hong kong and it's like the only other place that has it is la it's so delicious Mm. worth the drive up and then we're gonna go to get some other meals so that's it how about you (laughs) uh i'm traveling back to arizona to see my madre uh and that's about it I'm just gonna get some sun. Try to relax, get some sun, take take a day and a half of maybe where I don't do anything. I still have other stuff to do. But uh it should oh. be it should be fun. It should be um nice. My mom likes to spend Memorial Day weekend uh, with me, you know, because we lost uh my our dad, you know, my dad. Yeah. Uh from Agent Orange Exposure. So it's a it's a meaningful weekend mm-hmm. for us. Yeah. So however you're remembering, uh just please be safe and be well. Uh, that's my number one message that I can say and make sure you take care of yourself. So any last thoughts uh, before we get out of here, Amy, for the weekend? Uh, just I hope you have a, you know, a really meaningful weekend. And it's so great that you brought that up because for so many of us who don't have family members in the service or haven't had them, Memorial Day just kind of is like an excuse for a beach weekend. So it's nice. Thank you for reminding me that it's important to like actually you know, be mindful of what the holiday is about and not just like get wasted at Din Tai Fung. <laughs> Although just fun hey, too, but you it. know, we could do both. Uh, yeah. As you know, just remember, you know, how, why you're able to do that. And, and exactly. I just want to, I'm sure everybody knows this, but I just want to point out the difference between Veterans Day and Memorial Day. Memorial yeah. Day is not for anyone who's alive still. Um, yeah. uh, and Veterans Day is for, uh, for any veteran yeah. with us or not. So I just wanted to kind of make that distinction for everyone, although I'm sure everyone who was with, within the sound of our voice already understands that. Well, anyway, everybody, uh, until gosh monday woohoo until memorial day please take care of each other take care of yourselves take care of the planet and take care of your mental health i've been ag and i've been amy carrero and them's the beans the daily beans is written and executive produced by allison gill with additional research and reporting by dana goldberg and amy carrero sound design and editing is by desiree mcfarlane with art and web design by joel reader with moxie design studios 
Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.